Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Hey, good morning, New Covenant. So I want to ask a question, and it has to do with age. Uh-oh. How many of you all are old enough to remember the days of corded phones? So how many of you all remember the days where, like, maybe grandma or grandpa would call, and maybe you had two, three, four corded phones in your house, and this is the day of, like, this is what we would call three-way calling. You get three people on the phone at the same time or four people on the phone at the same time, and halfway through the conversation with grandma and grandpa, one of the kids is yelling, shut up, or don't touch me. And the person on the other line is trying to figure out what in the world is going on because there's these interruptions or breaks in the conversation. Well, maybe you feel that way about the book of Revelation, and I'm praying that you don't by the time today is over. So I'd like to try to unpack how Revelation is put together because sometimes we read it and we go, it just feels like there's a weird break in the chronological sequence of the book of Revelation. And Part of it is because we're born and raised in the West, and we're so used to having an introduction and then a body and then a conclusion, and they did things a little bit differently with how they wrote back then, and I'm kind of excited about this morning because last week we started with what we call the first six sealed judgments, and it's the pouring out of wrath, and it gets rough. Like as you read Revelation 6 through 19, there's a lot of wrath being poured out because of mankind's sin and because of God's justice. But today in Revelation 7, we have the first of what we would call a parenthesis. A parenthesis is a fancy word for saying we have a pause for relief. So in between the six seal judgments and the six trumpet judgments, which we'll begin to dive into next week in Revelation 8, you get this break and you get this picture of hope. In fact, the reason that your sermon is titled Bright Hope in Dark Times is that Jesus kind of gives us a pause in the action, and he gives us this little pause of relief, or again, in biblical studies, what we would call a parenthesis. So we're on our first parenthesis, we're on our first pause of relief. This is an up Sunday. It will be exciting to see what it is that God has blessed us with, even in the midst of the darkness, because again, as you look around, has the world plunged into darkness? Absolutely. All you got to do is turn on the news. However, None, none of this takes God by surprise, and he's going to give us these glimpses of hope in the midst of all this, especially today in Revelation 7. The other thing I'm excited about is you're going to see just how much Revelation 7 has to do with our lives today, just how much relevance there is, and I don't have to make it relevant. God's word is relevant, and you're going to see that as we study that this morning. So if you would, you want to join me as we stand, uh, and we honor the king this morning, and we're going to read through Revelation 7 1 through 17 this morning. He says, After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he, he cried with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 
12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they they thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Gang, you can have a seat. There's going to be much for us to glean from this. I would state that at the outset, if you get nothing else from today, note this, that even in the darkest of times, in Christ, we have the brightest hope. Think about that for a second. Of all the people in the world, we should be the most hopeful. We should be the people that rejoice the most. doesn't mean fake happiness. You don't always have to act like everything is good, everything is great, that everything is rainbows and unicorns, and it's just not. That's just not the world we live in. We live in a sin-tainted world that is a mess. However, even in the mess, even in the dire diagnoses that we may receive, even in that phone call that we dread in the middle of the night, we still have the greatest hope of all. And the reason that we have that hope is not because of philosophy, not because of an ideology, not because of a worldly promise, but because of the fact that our hope is wrapped up in a person who came and was born a perfect birth, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and then defeated death by rising again from the dead. That's the great hope that we have. This morning, what I'd like to do is really just take a look at two of great, two of the great comforting truths or promises that we have from this passage that ensure us that even in the darkest of times, we have the brightest of hope. So really just two things. We're going to break it up. Verses 1 through 8 is the first section, and then verses 9 through 17 is the second. We just read verses 1 through 8, and what we see in verses 1 through 8 is that God ensures that there is an earthly remnant. He will make sure that there is always a people group all throughout human history that loves him, that follows him, that worships him, that serves him. He will always make sure. Did you know that you are a part of that remnant? You may feel like, but I'm completely overwhelmed. I am completely outnumbered. Well, note this. In Revelation chapter 7, how many people did God seal with his seal upon their foreheads? 144,000. The Antichrist, we'll read about this later, is going to rise up an army of 200 million. That's just an army that's going to do war against God's people. 
200 million is a lot bigger than 144,000. But you know what I've always noticed throughout history? Anytime somebody is on God's side, they're always in the majority. Do you know that? You could be the only one. Which, by the way, you're not. We'll get there in just a moment. But God has reserved an earthly remnant on purpose. Now, there is a significant biblical principle that I want you all to notice here in Revelation chapter 7. That is simply this, that even in the midst of our deserved judgment, God is still merciful and still calls out a people for his own sake and for his own glory. Do you know that I don't deserve mercy? I, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve grace, and yet God gives it to me anyways. This group that we read about from Revelation chapter 7 here um, gives us a lot to learn. I want to unpack three things that we learn from this group that I think are extremely appropriate uh, and relevant to us today that I don't want us to just breeze past. Because we might read this and go, well, I'm not from one of these tribes and I'm not one of the 12,000, so Revelation 7 really doesn't have a lot to say to me today. Now listen, again, I know that we're all over the place on this. I, I think that we aren't going to be here during the tribulation, and that's part of the reason that God raises up this 144,000, so that he preserves for himself a remnant to go out and just radically share the gospel. And as they radically share the gospel, you're going to see in verses 9 through 17 that a whole lot of people come to know Christ. But right now, we are here. We are still on planet Earth, and he has raised us up for the very same reason that he's going to raise up this 144,000 during the tribulation. You know what that purpose is? Go share the gospel so as many people as possible can hear about Jesus and have a, a chance to respond to him. But I want to encourage you, this remnant that has the same job that we have right now, they also teach us something that we should be doing right here, right now. Here's what it is. Are you ready? It's on your notes, note takers. You had notes in your bulletins. That It's there for you. But what are the lessons from this earthly remnant, this 144,000? The first is this. It's actually possible to be an effective witness in the midst of intense persecution and tribulation. Did you know that no matter what people do to you, you can be an effective witness for Jesus because of who he is? This 144,000 are going to be bright lights in the midst of an extremely dark time. How did they do it? Well, I believe it's because of their view of Jesus. How in the world is anybody going to live for Jesus in the midst of the tribulation? It's having a really big view of who he is. You've heard this around here before. You're going to hear it multiple times. I haven't forgotten. I repeat it on purpose. I'm not going crazy. But your theology will always dictate your behavior. Remember what is theology? It's the study of or the knowledge of God. Based off your view, your study and your knowledge of how big God is, that will radically affect the way you live. If your God is truly the God of the universe, the one that's talked about in Scripture, the one that made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ, the one that defeated sin and death by rising again from the dead, the one that really is going to come again, the one that is going to melt all the current elements with a fervent heat and give, give us a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, if that's the God that you serve, then there is nothing that can stop him. And that means that if your theology is that big, it will radically dictate the way that you live your life. Does that mean that we're never going to be afraid of anything? Of course not. Fear is still going to creep in. Doubt is still going to creep in. But what I'm praying for is that as a result of our time together on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, or your alone time in the Word on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning, or your time with your small group on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night, that those, those remembrances of who God is as you did those studies come back to your head. 
and you are reminded over and over and over again, there's nothing bigger than the God that I serve. You know, we've sung the song in here in church before. I wonder how many of us really mean it, but my God is greater, my God is stronger, my God is higher than any other. That's not us bragging about us, it's bragging about Him. If you're going to boast about anything, boast about Christ. Boast about the cross. We should boast about our Jesus, shouldn't we? Listen, man, we boast about our kids all the time, don't we? I got tons of them on my phone. In fact, I keep getting told my iCloud storage is full because I got pictures of my kids and what they do, and I love it. Love to talk about my wife. But man, if we love to talk about our wife and our kids, we should love to talk about the one that gave us our wives or our husbands or our kids, our sons and our daughters and our grandkids even more. We should love to talk about the gift giver. How big is your God? Because depending on that, that will, that will tell you how effective of a witness we're going to be. Here's the second thing that we learned about this group. You're not alone in the darkness. He raised up 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. This is a literal 144,000 people. None of them are on their own. Have you ever gotten the Elijah syndrome? 1 Kings chapter 19, I believe it's around verse 18, Elijah is just despairing for his life. He goes in a cave and he's like, Lord, just take me now. Nobody else loves you. Nobody else cares about you. I'm the only one in the entire land that worships you, Yahweh. Everybody else worshiped a false god. And in such a sweet, kind way, God's like, Elijah, shut up. I have 7,000 others that I've raised up that refuse to bow their knee to Baal, that aren't worshiping a false god. Just know you're not alone. Regardless of what you're struggling with and regardless of what you're going through, you're not alone which is part of the reason that God gives us New Covenant Church, so that we can gather together. Are we going to do everything perfect around here? Are we always going to be on everybody's good side? All you got to do is read my emails, and you'll know that's not always the case. But listen, we're brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing this together. We're not alone in the darkness. Is it dark right now in the societies that we live in? Totally. Is it going to get darker? Most likely. Isn't that exciting? However, you and I have the brightest hope of all. We've got Jesus, and then we've got each other to walk with Jesus alongside. You don't have to do this by yourself. Well, here's the third thing that we learn. God's always faithful to his promises. Did you know if God makes a promise, he's going to keep it? Remember last week we talked about the purposes of the tribulation. Why is it so nasty? One, it was to prove the power of God. Two, it was to punish sinners. But the third thing is it's to prepare Israel to meet her Messiah. Throughout the Old Testament, we're told that God is going to bring Israel to himself. And you may be wondering when. Most Jews today are atheists. Most of them don't believe in God. They're Jewish by culture, but by belief system, many are atheists. They're not believing that a Messiah actually came they're not believing that Jesus is God in flesh, if there even is a God. And yet we're told throughout the Old Testament that God is at one point going to save all of Israel. When's that going to happen? Well, if we continue to study Scripture and let Scripture interpret Scripture, we find out that from Zechariah chapter 12, two-thirds of Israel are going to be killed during the tribulation. The one-third that's left when Jesus comes again is going to have been prepared and purged for Jesus to come again. And then he will come, and once again we will see God's promises come to fruition. Well, I don't know if I can believe that. Well, well, if you don't, then go back and study human history. You know how many promises, we call them prophecies, that God has made that have come to fruition perfectly? Do you know that God's, God prophesied hundreds of years before it happened that God was going to bring his people back into his homeland? 
Well, when everything went down with Israel and the Jews, it looked like, you know what, that's a promise that's not going to be kept. Then there was this really cool event that happened in May of 1948, a time period where of all the times in the world, the Jews never should have come back into their homeland because they just got decimated by a man by the name of Adolf Hitler and this Nazi regime. If there was any time in history where the Jews should not have come back into their homeland, should not have been in the 1940s. And guess what happened in May of 1948? The Jews become an established nation all over again. That is unheard of for a people group to be dispersed and scattered, not be a people group, and then become a people group again. It happened with the Jews twice. It's not happened with any other people group in all of human history. Is God a promise keeper? Absolutely. So can I trust that he's going to keep the rest of his promises in Scripture? Absolutely. You know which one I'm really looking forward to? Him coming again. I can't wait. We're only in Revelation 7, so we're not there yet. Hang in there. I keep telling you, seven more short months, and we will be there. I am excited. If he doesn't come again first, which I'm praying for. Okay, Revelation 7, 9 through 17 is what gives us the second great promise that we have. First of all, God ensures an earthly remnant. Now he flips the script. After verse 8, we go into verse 9, which says, after this, which means here's a change in scene. He's getting a new vision from the Lord. We now go from what's happening on the earth to now what's happening in heaven. And what do we see that God ensures? Heavenly praise. God will make sure that he is worshipped. Remember, the psalmist tells us that if we don't worship him, the rocks will cry out. I pray that the rocks don't need to cry out. Now, this great multitude that we read about from every nation are there apparently as a result of the work of the 144,000. They went out and shared the gospel boldly, and it looks like a whole lot of people came to know Christ during the tribulation. Again, fascinating to me that more people seem to come to know Christ during tribulation than they do during prosperity. Because it seems like when there are times of prosperity, people tend to think, I don't need God, I'm fine on my own. Without even realizing that the only reason they're even allowed to take a breath and formulate a sentence like, I don't really need God, is because God allowed them to. Well, there's four things I want to take a look at from this group. It's not in your notes, so take this for all it's worth. This is a freebie. But four things that we learn from this group. And the first is this. The group is innumerable. John looks around and goes, I can't even count the number of people that are here. So again, apparently a lot of people are going to come to know Jesus during the tribulation. And once again, God uses 144,000. And then as we're about to read about in Revelation chapter 11, a couple months from now, we'll get there, and you'll read about these two people called the two witnesses. It'll be all kinds of fun as we dive into who they are. But God's got 144,000 and two. Then you've got an army of 200 million, along with probably a couple billion others that want nothing to do with the gospel. And yet, God brings tons of people to himself uh, with these two witnesses that are talked about. It's going to be a blast. Secondly, we find out that this great multitude is going to consist of people from where? All over the world. Every language, nation, tribe, and tongue is going to be gathered around the throne. This tells me that God is in control of the entire world. There's going to be people from Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, South America, the North Pole, the South Pole. They're going to be from everywhere, and they're going to be gathered around the throne all to go and worship Jesus because they all belong to him. Third thing that we see is this great multitude is standing before the throne. 
This is a place of great honor. And they're wearing white robes, which indicates their purity. They're waving palm branches. Palm branches were symbolic of victory. There's a lot to be learned there from this people group. One, again, they're in white robes. Why? Pay careful attention to the verbs. They didn't earn the white robes. They were given white robes to wear. Why? Because of what Jesus has done on their behalf. Now the other thing that's really important is where are they? They're standing before the throne. Do you realize that none of us should be allowed to stand before the king? There are many cultures still to this day that if you don't have special access to the king and you tried to earn your own access and get into where the king is at, you know what's going to happen to you? You're dead. You'll be killed. Well, Jesus dies on the cross. The veil of the temple is torn in two, symbolizing that we have direct access to the king of kings. We can now go and spend time with our heavenly father at any given point. I I don't think I recognize just what a privilege it is to be able to, with every waking breath, go directly to God's throne room in prayer. What kind of privilege is that? And then the last thing, and I sort of alluded to it, but God is their source of salvation. I can't do anything to earn my salvation. Remember, according to statistics, there are approximately 14,000 different religions or sects out there of people worshiping different gods. Ultimately, there's really two. There is the religion that says that I've got to do everything I can to try to earn my way to God. Whoever that God is, I've got to try to earn my way to Him. I've got to try to get the cosmic scales of justice balanced in my favor. Or there's the belief system that there is absolutely nothing that I have to offer to an all-holy, all-perfect, omnipotent God. And therefore, the only hope that I have is that if God comes to me, because I could never get to Him. Well, guess what? There's this person by the name of Jesus who you can read about in Matthew 1, 2, and 3, in Luke chapters 1 and 2, who came and he was born a perfect birth. He was actually God in flesh and then lived this perfect life and then died this perfect death and then rose again, proving that he really is God, that he is Lord over all. Well, I want to go back to this group. We're told plainly who they are. They're the ones that died during the tribulation. And you have to begin to ask, for them, was it worth it? What they had to go through in order to say, I'm going to stand for Jesus no matter what? Because right now, yes, it's hard to stand for Jesus. We might get a thumbs down on Facebook, the the unlike. We might get unfriended. We might get some nasty things said about us on Instagram. It might get worse. Uh, Where I was born and raised in San Diego, when we would go out and we would do the March for Life, we would actually have people come by and throw those really hard plastic dolls at us. They would take the heads off them and throw them at us. These were our our pro folks that would drive down the road. And sometimes we would get hit pretty hard and it would hurt. That was, for the most part, the most persecution that we have faced as believers. Magnify that by a million during the time of the tribulation. And that's probably what many of this 144,000 would go through and those that trust Christ after hearing the gospel preached by the 144,000. And I want to ask you, do you think that these folks that are standing up in heaven right now would say that Jesus was worth it? That he was worth what they were worse than getting hit by a plastic doll uh, uh, flying out of some car that's speeding by? Do you think they would say that that was worth it? 
I can guarantee you they're saying it's worth it. You know why? We're going to take a look at the song that they sing in just a moment, and we're going to take a look at some of the rewards that they are given. In fact, I want to take a look at those right now if we could. Go with me to Revelation 7, 13 through 17 at this point. We're told one of the elders addressed him, and he asked, who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? And I said to him, sir, you know, and he tells them these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And now we're asking the question, was it worth it for them to go through what they went through in order to follow Jesus, especially having to lose their lives? Well, here's the answer in verses 15, 16, and 17. We're going to see four things that they get as the redeemed. I'm going to call them rewards of the redeemed. What are the four rewards that the redeemed, those that are bought back by the blood of Jesus, get to experience? Here's the first. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. The first reward of the redeemed is they get God's presence. Did you know it doesn't get any better than that? We've mentioned this before, but what makes heaven heaven is being with Jesus. It's not necessarily the street of gold, although it's going to be awesome. It's not going to be the river of life, even though that's going to be awesome, or the tree of life, which is going to be awesome or those 12 foundation stones that have the apostles' names written on them, although those are going to be awesome. That's not what's going to make heaven heaven. It's going to be being with Jesus, getting to experience his presence. And it says, again, listen to this, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. Can you imagine any better place than being before the one that created you? The reason that we get married and have this desire to be loved and to love the reason that we have kids that we want to love on and cherish is because ultimately that is meant to push us to the one that created us, the one that we're ultimately meant to be in relationship with. I know this might sound depressing to some of you, but it doesn't look like we're going to be married in heaven. And the reason is we're not going to need marriage in heaven because God gives us a marriage partner to really aid us in becoming more like Christ. Once we get to heaven, we're not going to need a marriage partner to aid us in becoming more like Christ. Because much of what messes us up in sin is going to be done away with. We also have marriage partners because it helps us experience what we're supposed to experience, unconditional love, unconditional forgiveness. And we're supposed to be a picture of Christ to the church and the church to Christ. We're not going to need that picture anymore once we get to heaven, which is why I believe we're not going to be married in heaven. Are we still going to have a special relationship with our spouse? I think so. But it doesn't look like we're going to be married anymore because we're going to be now in God's presence and we're going to get to experience that together. Here's the other thing. It says, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. We're going to get to experience God's protection. So we get God's presence, but we also get God's protection. This is in stark contrast to what these folks had been experiencing during the time of tribulation. Remember, there's intense scorching heat during the time of tribulation, intense persecution, intense trial and tribulation. Think of all of the aches and pains you've ever experienced to this side of heaven. All those are going to be gone when we get to go be with the Lord. And then, at some point in time, we're going to get our brand new bodies and they're not going to ache, and they're not going to groan, and they're not going to become tired, and they're not going to become, become uh, hungry, and they're not going to decay, and we're not going to die. I can't wait to see what that's going to be like. In Revelation 17, verse 17, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 17, 
It says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. We're also going to get to experience God's guidance. We need it. Bible describes us as sheep for a reason. Sheep aren't always the brightest. They oftentimes go after things that are going to kill them. And God says, I want to give you life, and I want to give it to you abundantly. We got a lot of people running around that think, man, God's just a cosmic killjoy. You just want to, you just want to rule me. You just want to make me a slave to somebody. I'm nobody's slave. I'm the master of my own destiny. I do what I want. That's the dumbest thought in the world. Everybody's doing something that somebody told them to do. You just came up with the idea that you're the master of your own destiny on your own? No, you didn't. Somebody told you that. Listen, you're, you're a slave to something. Everybody is. The question is, who's your master? I'm either a slave to sin, which is going to kill me, it's going to wreck me, or I'm a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, which brings me life and brings it to me abundantly every single time. God is not a cosmic killjoy. I love Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11. Eternal pleasures are at God's right hand. God actually wants to bless his kids. Did you know that? Now, we might have to go through some pain before the blessing, but again, I want to ask, is it worth it? Well, from what I'm seeing just in Revelation 7, the answer is absolutely yes. Totally. I can't wait to experience God's presence. I can't wait to experience his protection. I can't wait to experience his guidance. We get it this side of heaven, but sometimes we're just kind of dull and we don't always listen. But then there's the fourth thing in Revelation 17. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. You will get God's full comfort. What a comfort it is to know that all of these pains are going to be dealt with. Now, we're going to unpack that even further in Revelation chapter 21, because this will be the second time that he says, God will wipe every tear from their eyes. I want to ask a question that's maybe being begged. Why are they crying in the first place? And the answer is, we don't really know. Is it because they're crying tears of joy, recognizing they don't belong there? Is it tears because maybe loved ones aren't there? I, I don't know. But what I do know is that every tear is going to be wiped away. In conclusion, there's something else that I know. Chapter 7 is a great reminder that even in the darkest of times, did you know that in Christ you have the brightest hope? There's nothing that can steal your joy. I'm praying this reminder that God has an earthly remnant, even amongst all the wickedness, the reminder that he always ensures heavenly praise, the reminder that we have these great re rewards as redeemed people. We get his presence, his protection, his guidance, his comfort. I pray that on good days, you'll rejoice even more. And on bad days, this will fill you with hope. Listen, go back to Revelation chapter 7 sometime this week. Maybe go back over your sermon notes and get this embedded in your head, the great promises that we have, the great rewards that we have as redeemed people of God. I say that because I know how our minds work. I know that many times, five minutes after the pastor's done preaching his sermon, we forget things. So awesome. I spend 10 to 15 hours a week preparing sermons that you'll forget five minutes later. But hey, I'm rejoicing because... I know what rewards I have awaiting me. I say that because I would love it if you would go back. I don't care if you remember what I say. I want you to remember what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says in Revelation chapter 7 that we have some great rewards as redeemed people that are awaiting us. And I can't wait until we get to experience those fully in heaven. But until we do this side of heaven, you know what we get to do as redeemed people? 
Go share with unredeemed people the good news of the gospel message of who Jesus is. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to spend a moment showing you how to share the good news of Jesus in 30 seconds. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you, and we just praise you for who you are, and we look at how these redeemed individuals in heaven, uh, Lord, are praising you. They're standing before the throne, getting to experience your presence, and Lord, I'm so thankful that we get to experience your presence, that we can experience it now, but Lord, we really get to experience it more fully when we're in heaven with you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us your protection. Lord, we can know that right here, right now, if today is our day, there's nothing that we can do to last a day longer, and if today is not our day, that nobody in the universe can touch us. And Lord, we are so thankful that you've given us today, that you're obviously not done with us, and so we ask that you would use us in ways that are beyond what we could ask or imagine. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. Well, it was one month ago today that we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday seems to be a day that we invite a lot of people to church and we seem to be more apt to share the gospel. But I want to encourage you, regardless of whether it's Resurrection Sunday or it is May 7th, Today is just as good a day as any other day to share the good news of who Jesus is. And you may be thinking, well, I just, in our fast-paced society, I just don't have time to sit down with people. 30 seconds to share the gospel. Well, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. I look at you. Hey, Joe. Hey, Johnny. Hey, Susie. Hey, Barbara. How you doing? And what are they typically going to say? Pat, answer, I'm fine or I'm good, Right? And then they'll usually ask back, how you doing? So if they ask back, how you doing, great. Even if they don't, hey, let me just tell you, I'm doing fantastic. Can I tell you why? Sure, you're probably going to anyways. I just want to let you know, I am so glad that God gave me, or that God made me. And that he gave me a purpose, and that is to know him and to love him. And even though I completely messed up that purpose and I sinned, he came down from heaven and died on a cross to pay the penalty for all my sins anyways, and then he rose again from the dead. And because of the fact that I believe in that, I get to go to, go to heaven and be with him forever, no matter what happens to me today. So guess what? Today and every other day for the rest of my life is going to be great. Thank you for asking. That's it. There you go. Approximately 27 seconds, you just gave the whole gospel. That's all we've got to do. Nothing controversial. Most people aren't going to yell at you and scream. And even if they do, remember, who do we live for? We live for the Lord Jesus himself. Okay, one last thing. You got these beautiful little bulletins when you came through the door. If there is a way that we can be praying for you or somebody that doesn't yet know Jesus, there's a little flap on the inside. You can jot that down. You can tear it off and you can put it in the offering box in the back on the way out. Or maybe you've just got something hard going on in life that we can be praying for. Or you want to know about your next step uh, in your walk with Jesus and maybe you want to get baptized or you want to get involved in our next steps course. Let us know on that and then throw that in there. And I mean it when I say it. You've got a group of people that just love to pray and see God move. They're meeting every week, uh, I believe after first service over here, praying for our church body. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do something with me this morning. Would you all stand up for just a minute? I know that I already closed in prayer, but I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, would you be thinking about that one person in your life, or maybe those three people, or those five that you know that have yet to trust Jesus? One of those folks, be thinking of them by name right now that you need to share the gospel with. And then I want to do two things. One, I want to pray that God would be working on their heart and mind, preparing them to hear the gospel right now. And then I want to pray for us that 
God would give us this measure of boldness that we just don't even know where it came from and that we just share the good news of Jesus. Remember, I'm so thankful that God made us and that he made us with a purpose and that even though I messed up the purpose, he came and he died for me as the person of Jesus and then he rose again. And because I believe in that, I get to go to heaven and I'd like you to go there too. That's it. So let's pray for those people right now and then let's, let's pray for ourselves as well. Lord Jesus, we lift up to you uh, maybe friends, uh, maybe coworkers, uh, family members, uh, neighbors, Lord, even enemies. Uh, we lift them up to you right now. We know that there are many even here in our hometown in Albuquerque that have yet to trust you. And so, Lord, we ask that even as we're standing here before your throne right now, asking you to do a mighty work, Lord, we ask that you would be molding and shaping hearts and minds right now. Lord, we want to lift up ourselves as well. And Lord, ask that you would give us a special boldness that could only come from you. Lord, we may not be out there being street preachers, but Lord, would you just give us the right words to even just share with that person that we come in contact with at the grocery store or at the gym or at school or at work or maybe even just over the backyard fence. Lord, would you give us the right words? Lord, even when we get fearful, would you be the one that lives through us? And Lord, may our theology, may our understanding of who you are dictate how we live. May we live as people that know that we serve the God of the universe, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. It's Jesus that we serve. It's Jesus that we worship this morning. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all pray together. Amen. All right, gang. Lord willing... We will see you next week and with a friend, right? All right, go have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.